Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678 951 9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. All right, well, we finished up our series on worship, and uh, it was a great series. Um, and I really appreciate Jordan's leadership in it and Matt Papa's leadership. I'm, I'm joined today by both Jordan and Matt, two of America's greatest <laughs> worship leaders. Um, speaking of worship leaders and worship, uh, I know last week, a week ago today, you guys were in Nashville working on the sing conference uh just what is that well yeah it's it's um it's a conference that has been held now for three or four years um i think this is year number four but uh, last year i think it was around maybe twelve thousand people uh who came together in nashville to uh to have a, a three-day conference focused on uh corporate singing and specifically last year the focus was what i can't remember what was it jordan jesus yeah <laughs> well um, no it was like the person of christ right was, like there's yeah. incarnation it actually was jesus oh, okay yeah, yeah the work of christ the life of christ yeah the the, yeah. the, the, the atonement yeah, so this year we were in the grand old opry in a totally <laughs> empty room how, um, how do i remember this matt and yet you were actually leading the conference anyway <laughs> right your leadership was ago. so impressive to me <laughs> as an attender that it stayed with. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we so we, we got it. The whole thing filmed. It's, a, it's ent- entirely virtual this year because of COVID-19. So when do you, when does it become, like, when can I watch the virtual conference? When is the conference? So the conference is, I think it starts August 30th. Okay, so, so the end there's of some August. time. Yeah. There's some time. Yeah, okay. still time to sign up. So if I'm listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback and I'm kind of interested in worship, I do you, you don't have to be a professional Christian like you guys to go. Like anybody can sign up, right? No, you you have to have you have to have a certain resume. You have to have the card, the professional oh, I, Christian okay, card. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> sorry guys. Sorry. <laughs> no, anybody could sign up. Yeah, what do you can. just go to like singconference.com or something? I, or? Definitely gettymusic.com. I'm actually looking right now. Uh, so some of y'all may know like the song in Christ Alone, Keith Getty, uh, he and his wife Christian, Matt and Jordan both work with the Gettys to, you know, write awesome songs and, and, and help, I think, I would say like the goal is kind of help direct uh, or give thought and shape to kind of corporate worship culture in America. And uh, so I'm, hey, I for one guys, even though I know y'all are giving shape to our church in particular, I, for one, am very grateful for the shape that you guys, through your writing, through your ministry here, are giving shape to other churches also. So I, I think it, I'm excited about the conference. I know it's going to be a little different with it being virtual, but um, it, it will miss out on the actual singing, which is one of the greatest things. Because, you know, yeah. most of the people that do go are like worship pastors. And so all the voices in the room are, are really good. Y'all had a huge choir last year, which mm-hmm. was amazing. 
Um, they're doing some cool things. I mean, they're going to have a big virtual choir and they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing a really good job of trying to make it as tangible and, and interesting and corporate as possible. And, and global too, which yeah. is a unique benefit to yeah. it all being virtual. So it is getting music worship conference.com. Okay. That's where you can yeah. sign up. So next uh, year too, in 2021, hopefully it'll be back to non virtual mm-hmm. and, uh, we can we can all go, but um, let's let's come a little more local now uh, to well let's go local and cosmic okay mm-hmm. to the worship of God um, here at Christ Covenant. Obviously, we've been talking about it for three weeks. You both spoke um, in our sermon yesterday. Um, I thought both of you did just a, such a fantastic job. It was it, both of you in particular really helpful for me. Jordan, you were helpful for me. A week ago, as you preached, uh, Matt, let's let's kind of well, both of y'all. Isaiah six is what we looked at yesterday. Very famous passage. Um, we think about this passage in a missional context, right? I've heard this sermon preached at like missions conferences because it ends with the "Who shall I send? Here am I, send me." I've heard this sermon preached, obviously, just in a like character of God, holy, holy, holy context. Um, the understanding of sin, I mean, all of these things, but really the passage kind of follows a very good and clear template for, I think, something that we desire for our corporate worship service. There's a revelation of God. There's a response of man. There's a hope of forgiveness and atonement that comes from God. And then there's a response, you know, a, a redeemed response of man. It's, you know, revel- if you will, there's revelation response, revelation response. Or if you will, there's kind of God, man, Jesus response. Um, in all kind of baked into the order of this passage, and it follows that order, you know, kind of perfectly. So I think it's a, it was a great passage to look at if you want to think about a worship service. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that's uh, that's like the storyline of the Bible. This is kind of the storyline of this passage. Um, God, sin, Christ's response. There's a lot of ways that that has been kind of packaged together. But yeah, for for centuries, church, you know, the Catholic Church in particular created that, that classic liturgy that has followed the same. And it's just, it, it's a helpful, helpful tool to... Uh, remind us that we're in a, a giant story and uh, not just dealing with particulars. Yeah. It's Jordan, interesting how many, I mean, if you look at church history and, and the, the vast difference in denominations, there is a consistency in them telling the gospel story, the story of redemption, the story of the Bible in their services. And so this has been done for literally thousands of years. It's interesting to me as I think about kind of this this current postmodern age and conversations I have with secular people, really at every turn of what we've just been talking about, people struggle, right? So people obviously struggle with Jesus, right? Was he the son of God? Is he the only way? I mean, that's, I guess, kind of been a struggle. But it's been interesting to me, concepts that people you would think are pretty obvious to people like that there is a God and that we have sinned against that God. Even those categories I think are becoming 
a little more difficult. I mean, the way people like to talk about God is like the possibility of some other, Mm. not this God who has revealed himself, who is powerful, who is holy, um, who we are subject to. And then Matt, I thought you did a really good job, you know, sin. Sin is something that people obviously just, they're not comfortable with admitting that they have sin. I've been having a conversation with a friend of mine who is not a believer and and who is saying, well, um, there's not sin, there's damaged people, right? So they, Mm. they recognize that people have done wrong, but there's this desire to remove any sort of personal guilt or personal uh, or rejection of God or, or what have you. Um, I don't know. It's just, I think kind of a fascinating moment and, and you gave some sentences and I'd like for you to just jump a little deeper on kind of the reality that sin does exist in the world. Uh, but maybe some of the struggle we have with coming to grips with that. Yeah. The, um, well, there's a lot there. I mean, the, the, the quote I read yesterday was this Medin, Carl Medinger quote. He's a psych, psychiatrist and uh, he's not a Christian, but he was like, he wrote this book called Whatever Became a Sin, and he was calling the culture that was beginning, you know, this is the 70s, it's starting to slip into postmodernism. He's calling the culture to say, hey, we, we need to keep this idea of sin because, and the, and the kind of key sentence was like, like when you have sin, uh, sin implies both the opportunity and the obligation for intervention. Um, which I think is such a helpful idea. I think, and, and the reason I brought that quote into the mix of what I was doing yesterday is that I was trying to make the point that basically every movie or story ever written, ever portrayed, follows the same exact pattern, introduction, conflict, and resolution. You know, you know God sent Christ's response. It, it's, it follows that same pattern. So for sin to exist... Um, isn't necessarily, and for us to, to talk about sin inside of a worship service, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a downer. Now, now I'm sure there are uh, churches and congregations and, and personality types that overemphasize, you know, sin and God's gravity and, and transcendence and, and His holiness. And and you can you can certainly get to a point where you overemphasize that point of the story, or you never carry on in the rest of the story. But my my point there was that basically. Um, that this it's not by uh, by essential you know essentially a downer, and then I think some of the stuff you're speaking to there as well is is kind of first world versus third world type type dilemmas you know where people who haven't uh, you know you think about the, the 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 African slaves and and the songs that came out of that you know those are serious you know uh, you know I guess you could call them third world type situations where people obviously sin exists you know obviously there's right, a heaven. Right. obviously there's there's a need for redemption in our in our first world area that we live in or where philosophers the the areas that philosophers debate in it's it's typically so convoluted with um actual human experience yeah yeah with human experience but also uh uh just bl- blessings and and prosperity that don't give us a sense of reality and sin and pain and these things that you know fog well the uncomfortability of sin i think demonstrates how far we've drifted into kind of this self orientation which which you talked about yesterday right if it's all about me and if i'm at the center of the universe 
then I don't, I don't want to touch something that will communicate to me that I am unworthy, that I'm not the center of the universe. And so it, it immediately confronts it. And I, I think that's when we, when we, I mean, follow after Adam and Eve, right? They wanted to be like God. We want to be in a position of seeing the Sunday service as something that I'm coming into with a very me-centered perspective of, okay, entertain me, make me feel good. Right. How is this going to help me? rather than a confrontation ultimately to greater joy but it's a confrontation with the transcendence of god and we have to walk through this story in order to get to a true sense of the joy that comes from being the lord's yeah i think that there is no because we struggle to grab hold of the fact that we need intervention because we're so self-determinative Um, and hopeful in ourselves, which is kind of the classic understanding of humanism. We very much struggle, obviously, to admit our own kind of fault, and the problem is always them. You know, this is something I've said. Like, the the problem is always someone else. Um, And you see this in media. You see this, um, you know, in political speak, obviously. I mean, one of the reasons that... America is so divided right now is there's no willingness to say, okay, maybe we should look at ourselves. Where have we been blind? Uh, you know, maybe we can work together here. It's always like, well, if, if they would change, then we would be okay. It's them. It's them, you know, you know, yeah. And or I, I, it could be him or her. It could be a particular individual even that is, is the problem. And so we end up blaming all of our troubles on someone else removing ourselves from them and that you know like you said that that removes the possibility of any sort of intervention you mm-hmm. know or any sort of help how can i be helped um so anyway what were you gonna say well i was just gonna say what, what you're, i think you're both speaking to is just pride you know and like mm-hmm. the the only thing that can can knock pride down is is god it is isaiah 6 that's, right yeah. that's it that's mm-hmm. the only yeah, and, and I think that's kind of, to your point, Jordan, what I was trying to get at is I, I do believe that human beings were designed to be oriented toward God, right? We, we were designed to be rightly humble. Um, and, and when I say rightly humble, I don't mean rightly small, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. being oriented toward God actually calls you up. It yeah. calls you to something bigger. But you're not the center of the universe. Um, you are a part of someone else's story. You know, I like the way that David Foster Wallace says it, like you either can be the Lord of a skull sized kingdom, or you can be a participant in a cosmic kingdom. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't say the cosmic kingdom part, but he realizes that our orientation at the end of the day only gives us a very, very small, our orientation toward ourselves only gives us a very, very, very small kingdom. Um, and you know, so it's either you can be a participant in a cosmic global kingdom or, you know, the Lord of your own little skull size kingdom. Uh, and I think Matt, to your point, what orients us toward that big kingdom is a revelation of that kingdom or is a revelation particularly of that King who is glorious. Uh, and we saw it undo Isaiah in the passage. Um, and, and I think that's, I guess, our hope and worship, that it would undo us. Um, 
so so how does that happen? I, I think there's a lot of debate right now between, you know, when you come to a worship service, how experiential does it need to be? Um, are our two, are our worship services too thoughtful, um, or you know? Should they be more experiential or are they too experiential? Are they not thoughtful enough? Um, you know, and, and what actually serves the congregant in that? Yeah, it's a great question because I, I do think there is a lot of confusion right now in terms of how we prioritize experience. Um, I mean, you look at the, the most popular kind of churches and music labels kind of in the modern worship out there. And, and the, the primary emphasis they have is an encounter or experience with, with God, with this transcendence, with something that's not like us, right? Which is a good impulse. Um, because when we encounter something bigger than us, we, we, there is, there is an experience there. We are, you know, caught up in something that's greater than ourselves but i think the question is what what's the priority of that and and i think this is where entering into the story of god is so helpful because it starts with a god who invites us into something where we encounter him because he reveals himself to us we're we're coming to god first and foremost we're not coming to an experience and i think it was Matt, mighty, you, you, you had said that. Like, that's not the end. Um, the end is a better, bigger, cleaner, clearer picture of God. If we encounter the living God, we will have experience. And that's where I think churches do get it wrong. And I think, you know, we, we probably get it wrong at some level where it's the focus is so much on truth for truth's sake that we don't think about how does this impact me, right? right? How yeah. does this shape my life? What am I actually feeling? God made us more than just minds, right? He made us humans. We have bodies, we have emotions, we have experiences. And so I think that's where it, I would just say it's a both end. Right. We should experience God. And I should anticipate when I come to a Sunday gathering in particular, this is a spirit-filled gathering of people. God has promised to be present. And I should anticipate that I'm going to feel something yeah. because these are glorious truths. And actually, if I don't, you know, if there's a prolonged season where I don't, um, I think there's, uh, you, you should at least consider why that is. I think, I think what can happen is there are churches that I think they're, they begin with a really good motivation. We want people to experience God they end up kind of figuring out I can create as experience. Right. You know, and, and, and I think a lot of it's even subconscious, but you know, like downbeat happens, lights go up, hands go up. And it's just like, it's almost this choreographed, we know how to experience God thing. And I think people kind of sniff that out and get skeptical of that. And I think the reaction to that can be really bad. It's like, well, we, we don't want to be that. And so we're going to make this worship service like as boring as possible. Right. right. And so, um, and I think that's what we have to watch out for. And I think, you know, we, we, we don't need to be measuring the effectiveness of our worship service. We're almost looking around too much in our worship culture where I think we just need to look toward God and say, okay, how do we rightly reflect him? How do we rightly worship him? How do we rightly present him? 
Um, and this is where I think truth is so important because I do think that at times we operate at a very superficial level when it comes to the lyrics and the songs and even preaching at times in churches where we talk about how great God is and how good God is and how loving he is and how for us he is and all these amazing truths. But we don't dive down deep into what does that mean? Right. You know, if God is truly inexhaustible in his glories and the riches of his love and his kindness and his greatness, then the longer I'm a Christian, the more I get to consider those things and deepen my understanding. And, and that, so that does require work in my mind Mm -hmm. because, you know, at, at some level we just talk about how great God is, but we never define how he's great or how good God is, but we never define how he's good. I think we, we, we are doing ourselves a disservice in terms of experience because then we have to bring along all the all these other things to your point we kind of just end up worshiping greatness or goodness and not god who is good you know there's something that's good that i want but if we give no definition to that it could kind of be anything yeah so i don't know thoughts matt yeah i think some of this what you're what y'all are speaking to is like um the idea of the of incarnation you know like in and it speaks to like everything every reality in in the world in a sense but it does the incarnation speaks to worship in a big way because um i think the aim should be that our worship is uh you know it's both intellectual and emotional it should be order and chaos it should be mysterious and clear it should be um you know uh, otherworldly and beyond and tangible and, and earthy and gritty, you know, and it's that magical balance, you know, this was Dylan, uh, I quoted Dylan yesterday, beauty walks the razor's edge, you know, it's like that unreachable, uh, elusive balance that, that is the aim, you know, it is, is I mean, it's basically Jesus, it's, in, it's the incarnation, it's that razor's edge, but that's kind of, I think, how we should think through a worship service something that i totally agree yeah i mean I, and I think the incarnation of christ is so helpful for us um something that you talked about yesterday jordan that i think kind of helps us with the incarnation is some of the the responses of the christian life right so i think that communion right helps us with incarnational living i mean the baptism Help, like these are these are kind of incarnational things, right? Your baptism represents something, but it still is this very physical act that's happening. You know, communion represents something that's so much bigger, but it still is this very physical act that's happening. I thought you did a really good job, Jordan, yesterday of just inviting us into those things as responses. Um, and even beyond that, I mean, even just like we were talking this morning at staff meeting, like the announcements aren't really announcements. They're invitations into the scattered life of Christ, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if you want to dive any deeper on that, but I, I think it, I had a friend one time say, we do have a drama ministry at our church and it's called Baptism in the Lord's Supper. And I really <laughs> like that because that is what those things are. They're, they're ways that we kind of, 
act out this story that we believe. Are you and, saying I can't do my skit? Yeah, well, you know, my Matt, puppets. Yeah, Matt, we we do have some marionette. Uh, uh, Matt, Matt has a very nice marionette feature that he's going to do before next week's service. But uh, so it's, so it's it's baptism, the Lord's supper, and of course Matt's marionette and, Matt, and, uh, and Matt's puppets. Matt's puppets, but uh, no. And again, I'm not speaking condemnation on any drama ministry in a church, but but those are dramatic things yeah. that help us to. When we see a baptism, there's part of us that should think about the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea, and there's another part of us that should think about one day when we rise to meet the Lord. And all of that's kind of captured in this very tangible, these these big historic, otherworldly, if you will, kind of things are captured in this very tangible, gritty, somebody's actually getting wet in front of us in the worship service kind of thing. So. That helps us, I think, with this incarnational kind of moment. Yeah, I think as people, we tend to be overly pragmatic, meaning we tend to go back to, okay, what works? Or what should we try? Or, you know, these different things, instead of recognizing that God has actually given us something that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and we don't need all these extra things. Like in in the gathered church, he's given us these things. Like I said yesterday, we don't just sing the gospel we don't just hear the gospel word preach but we get to taste the gospel yeah we get to experience the gospel like that's that's amazing and so i i do think that there is a sense in which we have to trust that god knows what he's doing and and if we have a god-centered perspective of not only our own lives but our sunday gatherings then we we have something to tether us to truth um and part of that is it's a response getting to getting to your question of Christianity, a true walk with Jesus, a true uh, relationship with Jesus demands. It evokes a response. Right. And and so I don't I think I think two things. One, I think that should happen within our services. And we reckon we recognize that in the context of our Sunday gathering for, you know, an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, uh, that is in a small way supposed to symbolize or picture God's heavenly community gathered together. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just me being a spectator and listening and receiving. It's me engaging and participating. It's me loving other people. It's me serving other people. It's me looking for those opportunities to participate. Yeah, the whole thing is a drama that the angels are looking upon knowing that one day that drama that's happening in a small way at the Cochise Club will happen in a really big way around the actual throne of God. Right, and that's what you see in First Corinthians and First Peter, where unbelievers are supposed to come into this gathered community of people and see something different yeah. and be amazed by it. And I don't think that's just didactic teaching, although it is that, right? We're receiving from the Lord, but it's it's a community of people. It's yeah. faith followers. The, the, the teaching frames the right response, but yeah. the response is itself something very powerful. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, so it's that, and then it's also the Sunday gathering is supposed to equip us for how we then get to participate in the community of God, participate in the Lord's work, as he is, you know, shining his gospel light into the community. And, and so I, 
I think there is this, you know, it's scattered and gathered where we mm-hmm. do have this rhythm of we gather together and then we scatter. And, but I, there is an identity that we have as Christians that doesn't change. Right. When all of a sudden we, you know, put on our Christian identity when we go to church on Sunday. Right. It's no, we are Christians. And part of being a Christian is gathering together, but part of being a Christian is now living out that Christian life in the community and in the world. It's good. And that's vital to remember because I, we don't want to build uh, pseudo-Christians that think that my Christianity is confined to when I gather with my church and then maybe a Bible study during the week. No, your life has been changed by Christ and you are called to walk in his ways in all of your life. Mm, that's good. Papa, Yo. I'll give you the last word, man. Last this, word? This has been a good conversation. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Um, I guess the thing that's that's in my head is it relates to some of what um, you guys, were, Jordan was getting at a second ago, but and it, it maybe kind of gets us back around to God's sin, Christ's response thing in Isaiah 6 um, as a whole. I, I really like, I heard a guy say once that he, you know, he, he was a, he's a pastor and he said, you know, people ask me, do I, at my church, do I preach to Christians or non-Christians? And he says, neither, I preach to sinners. And I, I really like that. And it gives this sort of impetus for every Sunday being uh, the message of the gospel and it being for all humans you know, in it and not not uh, zeroing in in particular. You know, of course, like the church gathering um, is is uh, you know for believers and edification, but it's also a drama that that outsiders can watch and view and, and see what's going on. It's so, really good. Yeah. It's really good. Really helpful. So for Matt Papa and Jordan Coughlin, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.